The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. There came a sound from heaven, a mighty rushing wind. It filled their hearts with sea. I want to talk to you about the local church. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through 16 is our text. Uh, people have come to me now. There, there's people who, who talk on the Internet. There's a lot of chatter. There's a lot of misinformation. Uh, people will talk about expo- expositional, uh, expository preaching and stuff as if that's the only legitimate form of preaching. I've heard them say that. The only legitimate form of biblical preaching is exposition. That's totally wrong. Absolutely misrepresents history. Misrepresents God's use of his people. Uh, misrepresents some of the greatest preachers that maybe had the greatest impact on the world uh, were to- many times topical preaching. But I, I went back into my own preaching, and I have recorded over 1,650 sermons that I have recorded. And I went back and looked at them. I have 150 out of, out of 1,650 sermons. I have 150 topical sermons. That's it. So in my, in my preaching, I have uh, 5%. I preach topically, and then 95% I preach expositionally. Now, what is expositional? It means to explain something. You take a passage like what we have right here, and it means to be true to the context and explain the meaning. Exactly what Nehemiah did when he set up a pulpit of wood, and he took the Bible and he began to explain to them what the Bible meaning was. Now, in explanation, you may talk about illustrations, and you may talk about stories, and everything as long as it's true to the Bible, you're good. You're good. And, and uh, as long as they, they told, in, in the Sunday school class this morning, young adult class, I went over the survey of the whole, literally the whole Bible. That's not easy to do. It takes many years of Bible study to do that. You don't just throw that thing together. That comes over 30 years or 40 years of study and putting that together to be able to understand how all the little pieces of the Bible, 66 books, how do those fit into history? How do they fit in? Well, we've been going over that. I did it in the adult class and did it in the young adult class now and finished that this morning. And as you put that together, that is explaining God's way of doing and what he did. And it helps you to understand why the Bible books are where they are and helps you to understand what's going on. Tonight I want to talk to you about the church, the function of the local church. The local church has come under the very wrath of hell. Uh, the Bible says the gates of hell, the plans and the means and the, the schemes of hell will not prevail against what you have here at Gospel. You understand that? I mean, there are all kinds of local churches. When I was up there at Bismarck, they have a one-room building there. It maybe holds 80, 90 people. And they, that church about, looked like it was about over a 100-year-old building. They have no parking area. It's just the building. That's all they own, just the building. Pretty interesting little affair. But that's the way local churches used to be. Those people get together there. The guy gets up there, preaches. He's got called young man right now. They got a 32-year-old pastor, a young man, and, and seeking to teach. And going out street preaching with those old boys out there up in Bismarck and having a good time. But it's, it's a manifestation of the local church. Now, 
I believe in all born-again believers make up a body, and I think it was Schofield, maybe others call it the invisible church. Probably invisible, but you can't see it. Uh, the only church I've ever seen is the local church. That's you people. That's, now, this building encompasses where we meet, but you actually make up this body of the local church in this area of Bonita Spring. Now, there's more than one local church in our area, but is God's manifestation of his body present in a local environment that has a function and it has a, has a very, very important vital necessity in reaching the world with the message that Jesus saves. And that's our prime directive is to give them the message that Jesus saves. He died, he was buried, he rose again the third day. And if you will repent and by faith trust him as your Savior, you will have new life in Christ, abundant and free. And God will raise you up and put your feet on a solid rock, establish your going, put a new song in your heart, in your mouth, even praise unto your God. And he'll do it for you. And he'll help you. And But this is the way. Imperfect as it is. Now, how imperfect is it? How perfect are you? It's that imperfect. It's as imperfect as you are. It's as imperfect as I am. Uh, it's as human as human can be. But isn't it amazing to you when you look at the lists of disciples, that Jesus, apostles that Jesus chose to the inner circle to represent him? Doesn't it amaze you at the, at the faults those guys had? I mean, the sons of thunder were going through Samaria, and they didn't want to receive Jesus. And they said, Lord, let's call fire down from heaven. We may destroy them. Sounds like independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptists to me. I mean, what in the world? He rebuked the sons of thunder, James and John. He says, whoa, I didn't come to kill these folks. Hey, it's within the option of God to kill you anytime he wants. He don't have no problem with that. He's come, the Bible says, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. God has no trouble judging evil. Don't get too overextended about what's going on out here other than increasing your reading, increasing your prayer, increasing your support of the local church to go out and get the word of God to them. But don't be worried with, with uh, overmuch surfeiting, as the Bible says, overmuch worry. Sufficient is the day as the evil thereof. You don't have to worry about your about tomorrow. Go to bed tonight, pillow your head, and have sweet peace that God is over all. Let's read the passage. First Timothy 3.14, these things write unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how to, thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. There's three things I want to talk to you about in that passage, and I can't go without reading 16. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Who was? Who was? Theos was manifest in the flesh. Well, the Bible says no man has seen God at any time, speaking of the Father. But we've seen the Son. And who is he? Theos. Now, I hate to say it, but your new versions today, 98% of your new versions today eliminate the word God. Look it up. You want to say, Brother Bill, why do you use King James Bible? Because it's the best. 
I'm no dummy. I've studied. I've looked. I've researched. I've read the books, pro and con. I used to be a, a, a proponent for the Westcott and Hort NASV. And I can tell you that the old King James Bible is the best book taken from the best manuscripts by the best scholars. And if you want to know more about that, you can get a book called Which Bible by Jane, I think it's Otis Fuller wrote it. And it's probably the classical work. It goes into the lives of the translators of the King James Bible. Never has a group of men as scholarly as those 40 guys been gathered together as there was ordered by King James back in the 1500s and put together. No group has even come close. And by the way, the King James Bible is free to copy. No copyright. But every other Bible out there, you have to pay to have the rights to duplicate it. That ought to tell you something about the motivation in translating the Bible. Do you know the biggest seller still is the Bible? The biggest selling book is the Bible. Any publishing company with half a brain wants to pr produce their own Bible under their own copyright so that they can make a bunch of money off of it. But praise the Lord, the old King James Bible, anybody's brother can take it and print it. And duplicate it, it's around the world, and there's been no Bible ever printed close to this. Boy, I can't tell you, we got pamphlets all over the church. One of them's by David Sorensen, you need to read it. Another one's by, guess who? Henry Morris, brother. Henry Morris wrote a beautiful pamphlet. Why? He uses the King James Bible. He's now in heaven, glory to God. He was on the board of the New King James Bible, and he saw that people translating the New King James Bible didn't even believe in the creation, literal creation of Genesis, and he resigned from the, that board, that advisory board, and quit using the New King James and went to using the King James again and wrote that pamphlet. And let me tell you, Henry Morris is no dummy. If you don't believe it, you read him, and you see what he says about that. So I'm done with that. That's just off the cuff. I want to show you three things. Number one, the church is the house of God. The church is the house of God. I'm talking about the local church. It's the house of God. Three things here. Three things. This is exposition. Number one, it's the house of God. The house of God is the base of operations. Every army needs a base of operations. You people, a brother Gillespie's been in the military, some of you people in the military, you know that logistics is everything. If you can't get food to your troops, they're going to die. If you can't get ammunition to your troops, they're going to die. You have, when we went over to... Uh, over there in the Middle East the first time, it was one of the biggest logistical moves of the military ever. Over 500,000 men and women went over to the Middle East there to take on insane Hussein. And you remember, now what, girls, 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 you think it's big when you cook for 40 people. How would you like to cook for 500,000 people, three times a day try to get in wrap your mind around the logistics of that wrap your mind around how much food you got to carry how many cows you got to slaughter how many chickens you got to slaughter how many eggs you got to collect how much you got to keep fresh and you got to have it for them because if your troops don't eat they don't fight man troops they fight on their belly they fight on their morale and you got to keep the morale up well when somebody's hungry why did, why did old uh, 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 Robert Lee surrender at Appomattox? Because he had 120, I think he had, 100, he had 128,000 troops there and no food. 
And he finally had to give it up because he couldn't feed them. They had slaughtered everything they could see and eaten everything, and they couldn't go on, and they had to surrender to Grant up there at Appomattox. I went down, by the way, and went through the tour at that place, a mighty good place to go, and I encourage you for the sacrifice that went on there. It's the house of God. We are the base camp. You know what Gospel Baptist Church is and every other local church? It's a base camp for operations into the world. This is where Christians gather, where the soldier of the cross gathers to get his logistics, to get his assignments, to get his organization, and to get his piece that fits his gift and go out. My dad was a strong man, a weightlifter, a boxer as a young man, and he joined the Marine Corps. And the, the, the old uh, drill sergeant looked at him and says, you, you're gonna, your gun's going to be the BAR. Why was it the BAR? I think the BAR, Browning Automatic Rifle, was about 70 pounds. And he had to carry that. Why? They didn't choose just old, some old skinny old boy like Chris. They didn't choose him to carry no 70-pounder. They showed my dad real husky muscle. They grabbed him, and, that, and, and when he hit the beach and jumped off that LST in the water up to here with a 70-pound gun and all the ammunition on the backpack, he was happy his feet touched the bottom because he said otherwise he was going down. And he made it up to shore with that thing. It wouldn't fire, jammed. He finally threw it away and grabbed an M1. But we're soldiers, brother. We're soldiers. The word oikos is a Greek word for dwelling or home or family. That's what's used there for the house of God there. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, it says, You're, We're to endure hardness as, as what? Good soldiers of Jesus Christ. You say, I'm not a soldier. You are a soldier. When you trust in Jesus, your Savior, you got, you got drafted. You got put in the army of God. Every one of you, every one of you has a function. Every one of you has a place of service. Let me say this. You've heard me say it for all these years. Whatever happens, find your place of service. I call it a ministry and do it with all your heart. It may be the bus ministry. That's not the only ministry, even though we talk about it a lot. It may be door-to-door. It may be nursing home. It may be cooking. It may be helping folks uh, uh, with meals when they're sick. It could be all kinds. It could be the nurseries, your ministry. Glory. I hope somebody... Is the nursery as our ministry. We're soldiers of Jesus Christ. We live in a country whose homes are in shambles. Juvenile delinquency up 900% last 10 years. Child abuse on little girls estimated one in four. Spousal abuse. Drugs and alcohol. 65% 65% of all crime, this is, this is not just a red-faced Baptist preacher venting. This is statistics, you can Google it. 65% of all crime is drug or alcohol related. If you take, you say, you say well, Brother Bill, the Bible lets me drink. Let me just tell you something, I wouldn't spend one minute defending alcohol. If you see what alcohol has done to our country and our people and our marriages and our crime, you'd be against every drop of that wicked stuff. You say, well, people can control it. No, they don't control it. Just like saying marijuana, well, legalize marijuana. Are you crazy? You're going to release a demon on you. We need one more mind-altering drug. 
cocaine. I've sat across my desk with cocaine addicts that had their teeth rotted out of their head. And they said, the reason I don't take care of my teeth is because every time I get enough money to take care of my teeth, I think what a good thing I could do on Coke, and I go out and buy Coke. You think it's got a grip on them? They lost their family. They lost their one guy that I talked to, lost his wife and kid, lost a $100,000 a year job, lost everything, sitting and decimated across from me at my desk saying, cocaine has taken everything from me. And I'm never going to argue for that. Our kids are turning to immorality. 12-year-old girls hooking up with 50-plus partners. Syphilis is one of the number one diseases among young girls. That's a serious disease. One out of four people that are sexually active have herpes. You think God's trying to say something? HIV, remember when it happened a while back here when HIV came to the front? And remember, my one doctor that I had, ear, nose, and throat guy, he was real big on ballet. Now, I don't know why. Seeing a guy dressed up in tights, running around on his tiptoes, just not something I'm for. I'm not saying it's not artistic. You know, if you want to see me do a little. But anyway, uh, I'm not saying it's not artistic, but he, he said he was a real big follower of ballet. You know them doctors are so sophisticated. And he's a real big, a real big follower of ballet, you know, and, and cultured uh, right up to here. And he, he told me one day, he was saying, you know, I don't know what's going on. He said, since HIV has come, all the good troops have died. Troops meaning a ballet troop. He said, all the good troops. He named it, one in New York and one in Boston and Boston and one in those other places that died. And he says, you know, what's killing him? I said, well, what's killing him, Doc? He said, HIV, they're homosexual. Almost all those fine arts guys are homosexual. I go, wow. Now I know why I'm not a fan of that. Our kids are in in immorality up to their ears. Homosexuality. Recently, of course, now same sex. You know what's being taught in public school? Same sex is, is fine. Homosexuality is just an alternate lifestyle. It's nothing more or less. There is no morals. Everything is amoral. It's culturally sensitive. There is no real right and wrong. There's no, everything is relative. It's been coming for 40 years. This is not happening overnight. It happened when I was in school, started. That was years ago. And here now we got, we got these, these uh, Christian rock to the place you absolutely cannot tell the difference from secular rock. You, you have a, a, almost a no modesty code in our, of among, among everybody. Almost no modesty. You try to set a moral or modest code, and you can't believe the resistance you get. I'm talking about Christians. Oh, cover up, girls. Don't show, don't be too tight, shrink wrap, too low, too, too high, too low, shrink wrap. Don't do it. Men are sight-oriented. That doesn't take a genius to figure out. But brother, the local church is a place for in the, in the environment I've just described that born-again believers can come to base camp, 
God made this place a place of security, a place of stability, a home base so that we can grow in Christ in an environment that's safe and conducive to spiritual life and, if I may say, pleasing to God. A home base. You know, God used the first family, Adam and Eve, as an example. I mentioned this in Sunday school this morning. Jesus in Mark chapter 5, back to chapter 10, verse 5, says, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. He went all the way back and used the first couple as an example. This is the way things ought to be. And in the local church, that's what we propagate, the Word of God. We go back and say, this is the example, husband and wife. You know, animals teach by example. We here at Gospel, you younger people are supposed to look at us older people and get the idea of how to live for Jesus. But what's really, really sad is when we older people aren't living for Jesus. And we're wishy-washy into the world. I had chickens one time. I've raised chickens a number of times. I've raised geese. I've raised chickens. I've raised rabbits. I've raised different kind of stuff. But when I raise chickens, one of the most notable things about chickens is this. One, I, I buy chicks from Iowa. They ship them to me by the McMurtry, McMurtry Farms or whatever they are. They ship them to me, and I get them, and I raise them up. They're dumb as a box of rocks, buddy. I mean, they are victims looking for a place to happen. Why? No mama. No mama. They were hatched and sent to me, and I'm not a very good mom because I can't get in the grass and scratch and Tell them how to get stuff and whoop, give them warnings. But then I let some of my chickens, my, my hands, I let them uh, brood and raise some chicks. Now, you've never seen anything cute till you've seen little chickens have chicks. Or chick, the hens have chicks. And then they, well, they, and I watched them when my, my wife and I would go out there and we'd watch them. And, and we'd, we'd notice that when you came up to the hen, she'd make a little noise and she'd open her feathers and they'd just disappear inside of her feathers. Just, just disappear. I say, look at that, Kathy. She's teaching them to be afraid of this and afraid of that. She'd go out and she'd pick up something on the ground and she'd, like a little worm or something, and she makes a special little noise and all of those chicks come to that knowing this is food. So what she's doing, she's teaching them what to eat, what not to eat, where to eat, where not to eat, what's dangerous, what's not dangerous. By example, that's what we're doing here at Gospel. The old folks, we're going out here in the bus, mister. We got 68-year-old drivers. We got 70-some-year-old drivers probably. Don't tell me. But nevertheless, we got 60. We got old men in the ministry uh, going in the door to every ministry is inculcated with old folks. What are we doing? We old folks are trying to tell you young folks, do what we're doing. Follow what we're doing. More is caught than taught. We can get up here and speak it, talk it, you know, but all we want, you go, I, I, I. but brother, watch us, watch us, watch us. We're serious about this. We believe it's the right thing to do. Why? It's the house of God. Why, why in our day children have been deserted by their fathers, but the heavenly father will never leave you nor forsake you. Uh, the Bible says in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave thee nor forsake you. Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always, even in the end of the word. world. Uh, uh, Psalm 27, 10, that when your mother and father forsake me, the Lord will take me up. We're the house of God. Children have been devastated by their fathers. 
betrayed by their fathers. This is a place to catch things. This is a place of comfort. The Bible says he's the God of all comfort. This is a place of comfort where you see the Father of mercies. This is a place to lighten your burdens. He says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me. For I'm meek and lowly in heart, you shall find rest to your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what we are. We're a place of to catch things, to learn things, a place of comfort. We're also a place of unity. Children have been divided and devastated by divorce. Maybe the worst cuss word I could possibly utter from this pulpit would be divorce. I remember as a kid when my mom and dad sometimes would get in it with each other. They'd argue. I don't know whether they just didn't care, whether they were too mad to care or whatever, but we could hear what was going on. Kids ought not to hear that. I'd hear my mom. I love my mom with all my heart. I'm a kid, 10 years old. Love my mom. I love my dad. And I'd hear them talking about ways to each other that I'd never heard them talk before. Saying harsh things, cruel things. As they fought on each other on some other issue, on issues that I didn't even understand. But I can tell you one thing I understood. I sat in, them, in that bedroom and wept. And thank God that somehow my mom and dad would stay together. I couldn't imagine the thought of my mom or dad leaving. What would I do? How would I live? Remember, you're just a kid. You say, well, divided family works. It doesn't. It's a poor substitute for what God originally intended. I know it takes two to stay married. And I know that some people want to stay married with all their heart, and it just don't happen. The other person just takes off, goes crazy, and you can't stop it. In that case, you do the best you can, and he will be a father of the fatherless. But the house of God's here to help you through those kinds of things. That ministry is about that. That ministry is about the fatherless, the motherless in many cases. You say, why are we so adamant about that? Because of the motherless children because of the fatherless children they deserve better they need better and we're their only hope who else is doing it you have a lot of competition pushing you out of the way to get to the kids there brother tom no we don't find a whole bunch of churches out there oh i wish i did i wish more churches had the burden here's what i hear from other churches too expensive too much liability can't get workers those are the three main reasons for not having a bus ministry. And you know what I say? They're crying that something could be better. And we got the answer. We're the house of God. We got the answer. Children have been devastated by divorce. It's a tragedy. It's a travesty. Christian, Christian, get right with God. Beg Him to help your marriage there's nothing that you have against your mate you just can't let go and forgive. A third of the X generation have been uh, aborted by parents that don't love them. Uh, they're an inconvenience to them. They're a problem to them. They're not wanted. They're not liked. We're here for them. We're here. God loves you and wants the local church as your home base. 
That's what it says there in that verse. Look at it. Verse 15, chapter 3. For the house of God. That's the word home, oikos. The house and home of God. Secondly, we're the house of the church of the living God. The word church means assembly. We're the church of the living God. We're, that, that means not, not only are we a, a home base, but we're a life base. We're a life base. Uh, this generation needs a living God as opposed to a dead God. Notice the preoccupation. Uh, years ago, I saw a t-shirt on a teenager that said, suicidal for life. Do you know suicide among teenagers is big? Suicide among teenagers, the prime of your life, the best time of your life. Maybe, I say the best time of your life. Are you kidding? I'm in it. Every day is a good day, brother. And uh, But I mean, teenagers, the strength of their mind, the strength of their youth. Now, you'd think they wouldn't be thinking about dark things like killing yourself, but that's where they're at. That's where they're at. Why a perfectly healthy teen wants to commit suicide? Because there is no God. The society which we live in has done everything they can do to strip God away from them. They said we come by evolution. You're an amoeba. You're an impersonal amoeba that somehow grew legs and went in the ocean and got in the land. The legs jumped off. You jumped in a tree, swung a couple times. You grabbed the limb with your tail. It broke off. You fell down, went in and got a got a suit of clothes and became a professor in the local university. We're a life base. If God is dead, there's no reason to live. If I'm just an impersonal amoeba that grew out of the primordial mud... There's no reason why I don't take a 357 and blow your brains out. There's no reason not to. Because there's no justice, there's no judgment, there's nothing. And that's why kids walk in a church and just start going boom, boom, after meeting with them for an hour and saying they were nice people. The conscience is wiped out by the fact of no God. We're a home base, but brother, the local church is a life base. It's a place, it is the church of a living, the living God. We raise a hope that there's more than eating and sleeping and working and going back and doing it again over and over and then eventually getting sick and dying. There's more to life than that. God has a celestial, eternal purpose for you and me. Glory to God. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come and receive you to myself. There I am. You may be also. I have a very vivid hope of a future. We're a life base. Glory to God. We serve a living God. I'm going to tell you, we, there's a reason there's so, much, there's so little holiness in this generation is because there's so little God. There's so little answering. There's so little responsibility. 
Oh, brother, it's, it's not wrong if I don't think it's wrong. Yes, sir, it is wrong because there's a real right and wrong because there's a real God who made a real law and there's a real right and wrong and there's a real judgment someday and there's a real reason to live for Him and there's a real reason to, to put off the world and to put on God. It's real. We serve a living God in our daily activities. And thirdly, not only are we the house of God, the church of living God. Ooh, I like this one. Thirdly, we're the pillar and ground of truth. You know, there is a, there is a movement today to make absolutely no absolutes. Now think of the irony of that statement. Absolutely no absolutes. You see it everywhere you go. Absolutely no absolutes. There are no absolutes in, in, in almost anything and everything that is go, that goes on. And brother, if you buy into that, you're shot. You're lost. Because the Bible says the church acts as a pillar and a ground, a foundation of truth. The church is not a museum to which we all get together, all dressed up real nice and look at each other and say, Hey, how are you? How are you? How are you? It's a staging area for the, for the soldiers of the cross to get qualified, to get uh, logistically equipped to do a ministry and make inroads through this place into that place out there and a home base for the homeless and to show them that there is truth. We're not volatile like a bomb, we're predictable, we're a pillar. A pillar is solid, ground, foundational, truth. We're not wild-eyed. The Bible says in Jude one thirty, we're to contend for this faith, which was once delivered to the saints. In 2 Timothy 4.2, we're to preach the word, and to be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. We're supposed to be level-headed, Solids. You know, the definition of sanity is predictability. You should be able to come to gospel and say, I know what kind of service gospel is going to have. That doesn't mean we're old fogies and don't know anything else to do. That means we're predictable. We should be predictable. And I believe in variety. You know that. I wear different clothes. Different. That's the first time I've worn these white pants. Have you noticed? I looked in my closet, and I said, I got a pair of white pants. She said, well, you told me to buy them. It must have been about two years ago. I said, well, I'll wear them. We're the truth base for evangelism of the world. There's a bunch of faults out there. The devil, by the way, the devil doesn't care how he sends people to hell long as they go to hell. He doesn't care how they miss Jesus as long as they miss Jesus. So he'll start the Mormons. With the, he'll have one of his angels called Moroni meet a guy, Joseph Smith, and say, hey, you know what? You got, everybody's got it all wrong. There's some golden tablets. Let me, by the way, nobody ever seen them, but nevertheless, let me read them. And by the way, nobody's ever going to, by the way, you can have as many wives as you want to. Nobody's ever going to believe this one guy. They took him out and they hung him. Surely this will go nowhere. Are you kidding? There's seven million of them. Who would believe a story like that without any credibility? It's because there's a spirit behind it. The Jehovah Witnesses, two guys in the 18 at Rutherford and Russell, 1800s. They, they take up, by the way, after Seventh-day Adventists, uh, 
woman. They pick up after her and take some of her stuff, change it a little bit, put it around. Nobody's going to believe that. Nobody's going to follow that. Listen to me. I've got the old time-tested Bible truth, and people don't hardly believe, want to believe what I say. Surely nobody's going to believe Rutherford and Russell. Are you kidding? They say there's 15 million Jehovah Witnesses worldwide. Why? There's a spirit behind them. Uh, go on with religion after religion. Who in the world would ever be an Islamic? Ladies. Who, what lady would ever want to be? A, well, I tell my wife to do a little too much. She says, you know, you're getting kind of bossy. Man, I'm going to tell you, now you wear a burqa, and I don't want any men to see anything but your eyes because you're just so beautiful. She'd say, are you, you flip, boy. It's 95 degrees, 100% humidity. You want me to wear a burqa? Yep, because if a man sees you, it'll ruin his life. But yet that's Islamic. And yet you say, nobody's going to follow those Islamic people. Nobody and his brother is going to follow those people. But, but look, how many million? 250 million Islamics so-called. Let me ask you a question. 250 million Islamics. Who would dare believe it? There's a power behind them. We're the pillar and the ground for truth. Jesus said to Pilate, I am the truth in essence. It's standing before you, and Pilate missed it. And brother, we're here to tell people, this is the truth. Walk ye in it. They may choose to, they may not choose to, but one of the functions of the local church, according to the Bible here, is that we're the pillar and we're the ground of an absolute truth forever settled in heaven. That's what God said. Psalm 119, I think it's 89. Forever settled in heaven. The only church seen is a local church, the visible church. We're brokenhearted, occupied with the lost. We want to reach them. We must have a staging area, a place to organize, a place to encourage, a place to equip. I'm going to tell you, since 18 years old, I got the vision that I wanted to be all about the local church. Now, I, didn't, I was called into the ministry by God early in life, but I had not received that call yet until later. Even while I wasn't called to be a pastor that I knew of, I was all over the local. One thing I understood early was God works through the local church. He works through the house of God. He works through the church of the living God. He works through the pillar and ground of truth. And I am going to do everything in my power with whatever God gives me in my little short life to help the local church thrive. That's where I'm at. Why? Because that's where Jesus is at. I will build my church. In the gates of hell, though they try, will not prevail against it. Are you for the local church? You say, well, brother, I don't like this, don't like that, don't make any difference. Get in the military and see how it works for you. Go to the Marine Corps and say, I don't like drill sergeants. I don't like the way you do things. He said, you've got no responsibility in that area, son. Get back in line. They taught my dad how to wash his underwear. What an insult. 
And when he didn't wash his underwear the way they wanted, they threw it in the mud in front of the rest of the troops, took their feet like that, like that in the mud, and said, now take it and do it right. My dad wasn't used to being told what to do. He said, but boy, I had to learn to obey orders even when I didn't understand them and didn't like them because he was in the military. You're not going to understand everything in the local church. You're not going to understand what goes on behind the scenes. It's confidential. can't ever be told you. You've got to trust in and measure no matter what you do. No matter what organization you're in. And you'll never find a local church that's perfect. Because if you did and you walked in, you would destroy it. Because you're not perfect. You're full of flaws. And guess what? Your preacher's got flaws. If you don't believe it, ask Kathy. She'll tell you. You don't have to work around me too long without seeing some of my flaws and some of my, some of my missteps and some of the stupid things I'll say. But let me say this, honest before God, I try to get right with you every time I can. I ask you to forgive me every time I, God lets me know about it. And I want to be where God wants me to be because I believe in the local church. This is the place God wants to work. This is the place He will work. I've seen so many people get separated from the local church, go out there by themselves, and get destroyed and neutralized by the devil. I can't tell you how many people I went door to door, and I would see people... Say, when's the last time you've gone to church? Or I don't go to church anymore. Some deacon did something or some pastor did something. Somebody offended me. They didn't do the what I want. They said something I didn't like. I said, well, how many missionaries do you support? Well, I don't support any missionary. Well, how, how, much, how much do you give to the reach of the world for Christ? Well, I, I, I ain't involved in that. Well, how often have you read your Bible? I, I don't read and read my Bible. And what the truth is that they're neutralized. They're children of God that are neutralized. We would never send a 500,000 men over there to the Middle East if we didn't have authority and an authority structure and a, and a system of people organized with logistics. That's what we do. We support 85-plus missionaries because we're united together by the grace of God. Agree on everything? Absolutely not. United over the cause of Christ? Absolutely. I'm excited about it. I'm thrilled to be a part of it. And I want to end with it by the grace of God. We're a home base, we're a life base, and we are a truth base. Father, we pray that the Spirit of God may explain this better than I could. That the Word of God through the, through the passage there in 1 Timothy, chapter 3, may speak to each one of us. The devil would love to see us neutralized, love to see us pulled off, love to see us somehow get out there by ourselves, maybe reject the very instrument that he's chosen to use may it not be us may there not be one in the sound of my voice that the devil makes inroads in and causes that to happen may oh god you move in power explain better than could be by myself we pray that the spirit of god would come there could be christians here tonight and say brother bill almost lost faith in the local work i've been disillusioned with some of the people in it absolutely you will be but don't be disillusioned in what God's doing. God wants to work through you, but He won't do it unless He works through a local church. That's His way of doing it. It's His call. May you say today, pound a stake down, kill the devil's efforts and try to destroy you, to separate you and isolate you by saying, I'm driving a stake down by the grace of God I'm going to, wherever I live, wherever I go, I'm going to be part of a local, fundamental, Bible-believing church 
that wants to reach the world for Christ and send missionaries throughout the world, and I'm going to be a vital part of that group. Father, we pray that you'd move. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together a couple of verses, just as I am. Without... Oh